Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. Paul, how's it going? Fine, Matt. How are you doing? I was trying to think this morning, um, we had bumped into each other at some um, libertarian-ish gathering somewhere in town, but we hadn't seen each other for the longest time. That's right. Yeah. So you look no worse for the wear. That's great. And you have um, you have left the belly of the beast. I, I, I Googled this long this morning. Ago, You're right. a long time ago. It shows how far back we go. <laughs> Because you were a um, commissioner for the Securities and Exchange Commission, right. and you were like the free market guy on the commission. Is that a accurate way to uh, characterize I it? Well, so I believe in free markets, and uh, Milton Friedman is, I think, a, was a great guy, and it, you know still misses not being here. But uh, but anyway, he he obviously plowed great ground at, yeah. during his time. Um, but you're now like a private citizen again. Yes welcome hopefully yeah still still right. still and tell me a little bit about your firm and 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 what they do and and um you know to the extent you can like an example of a, a client that you work with oh sure okay well so well thanks it's great to be here um in your great studio this is very neat uh very the liberty neat. cave so, yeah. that's right it's wonderful so uh so i'm a lawyer by background and i practiced law on uh, wall street um uh, back in the 80s and um, and then came down to Washington when my wife said that she did not want to move to New York uh, when we were getting married and that uh, I needed to find a new job. And so uh, anyway, so I um, so we wound up down in Washington and uh, so she is a libertarian was that was not one of the best days when she of her life when she heard that, but you know it's worked out uh, very well down here in D.C. It's a good compromise. Yeah, I'm surprised from, she let you do that. It is amazing, but her father said, uh, you know, that uh, you know, it sounded like a good move. So anyway, essentially, so it worked. Uh, it worked well, and uh, it's a good compromise from the canyons of New York. And uh, so I was at the SEC first in the early '90s, um, and uh, with uh, Richard Breeden and Arthur Levitt uh, in their office, and then uh, had a stint for about um, uh, eight years at PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, and then uh, came to the SEC again as a commissioner in 02 to 08, and then uh, started um, my firm, Potomac Global Partners, um, uh, in 2009, and so 13 years later, we're going strong into our 14th year, and so we do, uh, we help uh, Public companies, private companies, financial services, especially uh, deal with uh, the regulatory state as far as trying to organize their business, trying to do new products, trying to uh, you know respond to uh, market demand uh, for various things, and to stay within the rules so of the whether it be banking, securities, commodities, that sort of thing. So, is a lot of it today, just because of the nature of how markets are evolving, is a lot of it fintech stuff? It is, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, particularly, of course, in the last five years, that's been a huge explosion. So to try to help people figure out, so traditional TradFi, uh, traditional financial services uh, firms, as well as uh, new uh, firms that have launched and with new ideas. I mean, it's been a really interesting 
a time to see the whole blockchain area kind of um, uh, thrive. And obviously, we've come into a, a rough patch here, to say the least, in the last uh, year or so. Would you call um, it the crypto winner? Uh, yeah, and there's been one before. Yeah. Uh, and so and there will be in the future as well. But uh, it's certainly a crypto winter. And maybe even if you talk about uh, FTX and whatnot, the crypto earthquake uh, or uh, uh, you know, tornado uh, as well. But uh, so, but still, we're seeing with our clients, uh, people who are, um, you know, uh, pushing forward their ventures. They are, uh, there's still uh, a lot of confidence in the technology, in, uh, in the marketplace, in the, the ability for um, digital assets to meet uh, the needs of uh, not just financial services, but of other sorts of uh, firms as well and other sorts of needs um, in the market. So it's really exciting niche. And obviously, that's not the only thing we do. I mean, we yeah. do lots of other things. But uh, it, I mean, I, I think we're at the beginning of, of hopefully a, a, a paradigm shift. And I'm I'm not a technologist and I'm not a lawyer. And I'm at this, this regulatory landscape, I have a general understanding, but not a very detailed one. But I'm, I'm thinking about it in the context of uh, um, Frederick Hayek, um, who wrote a book called The Denationalization of Money in the late 1970s. And I just rewatched an interview that he did around 1984, where he's, he's, he says that um, we're never, um, he's, he's very frustrated at the fact that, that governments have, have fundamentally taken over um, the the control and production of, of currency, and he's imagining a world um, of exchanges where you know you don't you don't really challenge government currency directly, but there's some sort of sly workaround. And he's he's imagining cryptocurrency, although he could not have imagined what right. technology would have done. Um, and you know, from a from an Austrian free market Hayek point of view. Um, government does so much to screw up our money, and, and I don't think we need to go into what's happening right now. We just we're we're financing by printing and expanding the money supply, um, some six trillion or something that we spent over the last couple of years that we didn't have. Um, yeah, our deficit's one hundred twenty percent of GDP. Yeah. so that's pretty shocking. Yeah, it's it's not we're not we're not at the Weimar Republic yet, but but I feel like we're getting there. And I've always said that, that, you know, as someone that's fought to balance budgets, as things that seem sort of naive and simplistic today, we should balance the budget and not spend money we don't have. Um, that used to be a thing that government tried to do. Um, we don't do that anymore. Um, so to me, I've always said that, that technology and cryptocurrency is, is one outside discipline we might put on, on government's ir irresponsibility. Um, so naturally, um, um, governments, including the Biden administration and all sorts of legislators, are trying to regulate crypto, and that's what I want to talk about today. And 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 one of the one of the leverage hooks that they've used is FTX, and 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 this is my first question. This is what started this conversation when we were talking um, at that reception. It strikes me that. Um, the FTX scandal is not a crypto scandal at all. It's just a typical case 
of, of fraudulent behavior. Is that, is that accurate or does that not tell the whole story? Yeah, it happened to, hap- it happened to occur in the crypto space. Um, but when you when you peel back uh, the various layers, it's the same thing that's happened elsewhere. Somebody without proper controls, without proper um, internal governance of the corporation, uses other people's money uh, to do things uh, without any accountability, and um, and so that is unfortunately like with Madoff and other things, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, frauds, uh, you know, come about that way. So yeah. anyway, so that's... Uh, so it is kind of like Bernie Madoff 2.0. Exactly. So Bernie Madoff showed, you know, the, the problems that can occur if you don't have proper audits and all this stuff. He was a fraudster who pulled the wool over many people's eyes, even folks who were doing due diligence and all that, um, uh, you know, on him. Uh, and, uh, and, and FTX is the same way. He had all sorts of lawyers and, and other folks, uh, you know, in, uh, uh, you know, supporting uh, the operations. But, uh, of course, to see the entire picture, um, it was all very kind of uh, divided up. And so... Uh, because he, I mean, one could say that he was not accountable really to anyone. There was no board. There was there were a lot of uh, sorts of things that were floating around there that um, uh, you know is um, you know, ultimately you know, was enabled uh, this kind of uh, activity uh, to occur. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle, twenty four seven. Something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you. You need the very best Liberty swag in the market today, just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. So the, the obvious question, as someone that doesn't know what the regulatory response to Bernie Madoff was, but surely there was a push to establish more stringent government financial regulation to prevent Bernie Madoff from happening again. Is that is that accurate? Because my question is, we have all these regulations that are designed to prevent this stuff, and yet it happened again. Is why why did it happen again if if we have these regulations designed to stop it? Well, if we go back to well, I mean, the regulations came about if uh, if you remember um, Crisis of Leviathan, Robert Higgs's book about where he tracks a number of. Uh, different uh, crises uh, going back to the war between the states and whatnot. Um, you know, you have uh, at each uh, point uh, the uh, the ratchet, uh, you know, goes only in one direction. And then, so we saw that most uh, recently. With every crisis, Frank. perhaps in part instigated by um, government malfeasance, and they grow the government to solve the crisis they created. In many ways, right. Yes. So, um, and maybe not in the Civil War. I mean, that's uh, but whatever. And, and by the way, we've, was, we've uh, now quoted two economists, and, and part of watching this show is you, you drink a little bit um, every time we quote an economist. So ah, thanks for bringing okay. Higgs into All the right, conversation. Great. Well, and, uh, yeah, that's right. And Milton Friedman uh, as yeah, well. That's, that's so, right, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, so... Um, so, in with respect to Madoff, I mean, so Madoff had this patina of legitimacy. He had been uh, chairman of the National Association of Securities Dealers, 
and he uh, was an SEC registered um, broker dealer as well as an investment advisor. So with um, the examiners coming in to um, you know check him out periodically, a lot of people, of course, took comfort in that, which uh, you know they really shouldn't uh, in in these sorts of things. And then also, but it's understandable that they would. It's rational. And then um, and in fact, Madoff could have been, and this is in his own words, um, you know, in, a, in his, something he wrote or a, I don't remember, an interview, but basically the SEC um, examiners were in his office and going through his books, and, um, and so he claimed to have uh, a few billion or something like that, several billion, um, in um, uh, what's called the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, which is what brokers use to facilitate uh, securities transactions uh, in a, in, at the bottom line. And so um, they got down the account number from Madoff, and so they went back uh, to their office, but it was Friday past 5 o'clock, DTCC was closed, the examiners go home, and they forget. And this is in a KPMG report of the whole kind of deconstructing what happened at the SEC. They forget to follow up with DTCC the net following week, especially on Monday. And so throughout that weekend, Madoff thought he was cooked. He thought that everything was going to collapse because all they had to do is call DTCC and find out that he had you know, maybe a few million instead of the billions or whatever it was. I don't remember the uh, the um, the amounts now, but that that would have caused them then to really look at his claims as to assets under management that he had, and would have been able to then unwind all of that. So he kind of skated by that, and then that enabled him to last another you know year or two or something like that. And all the while. The Ponzi scheme grew as they do, and then that just caused more havoc uh, when he finally collapsed. So, um, so anyway, so th so um, you know, in the wake of that, then that was kind of tied up with a financial crisis. So maybe there are parts of you know the 2,319 pages of Dodd Frank uh, that uh, address supposedly some of that, but. All the building blocks were there in the first instance mm -hmm. to, like, with that one little anecdote about the examiners, all the building blocks were in, in place at least to, you know, that, that wouldn't have stopped him from the beginning, his fraud, but um, it would have, um, you know, checked it at that one point. But uh, so now with respect to FTX, I mean, it's here it's similar. So FTX... Uh, has a uh, um, a U.S. Uh, regulated entity. It's regulated by the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, and that is not part of the bankruptcy because there, you know, it's open, it's transparent. They acquired it. It has, um, you know, all the customer assets were accounted for. They had accountants and all this other kind of stuff, and it is a crypto uh, trading firm. And um, and so they um, uh, so they survived, whereas the collapse of FTX was this international uh, debacle that uh, that happened because um, uh, I think the U.S. didn't uh, kind of make uh, it make our rules accommodating to this new technology, um, and like Coinbase, for example, is uh, another trading platform that is availing itself uh, 
to a certain extent of the uh, U.S. regulatory structure to the extent that they can. Yeah. So, so one thing you mentioned that that's interesting to this because uh, Sam Bankman-Fried famously spent an insane amount of money on politics, and and I saw one number as big as ninety-three million in total political donations over over the life of the firm. But but in in twenty twenty, he put five point two into Biden's uh, election and forty million into uh, Democratic campaigns. Um, it strikes me that um, part of the story of regulatory failure is how cozy the fraudsters have become with political decision makers in this process. So there's almost a disincentive to to implement the rules that they, they claim that they're, they're doing. It becomes um, political economy instead of financial economy. Yeah, I guess. So I don't know what he did or did. I've just uh, read about, you know, the um, contributions or whatever he did. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if you take a step back and you look, it didn't really, I mean, he didn't really accomplish much uh, yeah. if he was trying to. He, he pushed off the end. Yeah. Uh, it, well, he, he just, he, he never really, I mean, he, if, if he was trying to get, um, you know, a, a way for, you know, the rules to be bent uh, to advance his, whatever his business, uh, you know, uh, aims were. It didn't, I mean, nothing really happened. I mean, it's, uh, there was a lot of stalemate on the Hill. And uh, so I wouldn't say, you know, that was, uh, you know, it, other people's money well spent, obviously. Yeah, it was, it was not, not a good investment of other people's money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but whatever. So, I mean, I, so, yeah, so I don't even know that we can ascribe all of that to you know the um, the, the political aspect. I think, uh, uh, and because I think he had whatever. I mean, he was he's on the left as far as uh, you know some of his ideas, and so maybe some of that you know who knows what. But I can't I don't know enough about it. But but I do think that uh, you know there is enough control uh, for regulators. To accommodate, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the particular um, technology here that we're talking about, Hester Peirce, who's a commissioner at the Securities and Exchange Commission now, has come up with uh, some proposals for a safe harbor, for example, to allow uh, new technology to develop and to you know make accommodations for um, digital assets. Mark Ueda, another. Um, commissioner there, um, both of whom actually worked uh, in my office back when I was a commissioner. So I think they're doing a, a stellar job. But they're also, you know, uh, they're they're they've made proposals about how the SEC can accommodate this, and unfortunately, um, you know, that has not occurred yet. Yeah. So you you, you made a, uh, and this gets into what we should do and what we shouldn't do in terms of of regulating um, crypto. You you suggested that the the ancient um, nature of the regulations helped create the FTX crisis. Is that what you said? Well, and so what, is that, what does that mean? Yeah, so FTX. Uh, so when I was talking about uh, that uh, U.S. aspect of it, which is called LedgerX now, and um, uh, it, uh, which was its former name as as well, but so it's still functioning. It's still uh, you know a solid. Uh, I mean. From all I don't know anything internally about it, but from the uh, from uh, you know outside looking in, with um, you know it's uh, it's complying with um, uh, CFTC rules. So that is an example of how 
you know, a, uh, a regulator accommodated this particular um, technology, um, and they operate under different statutes than does the SEC, the CFTC does. But, um, you know, I think uh, similarly, um, the SEC could do that sort of thing because it has uh, the ability that Congress has given it uh, to make accommodations under statute and um, and has done that for you know for decades um, in various ways. So um, so anyway, so it's uh, it's I, I think too bad because FTX. Uh, just like others, there are other. There's another big trading platform called Binance, uh, which is mainly overseas, because again, they cannot um, uh, they cannot comply with the regulations as written by the Securities Exchange Commission and still operate, you know, with these uh, decentralized, um, uh, distributed uh, ledger. Um, types of um, assets, and so it just will not work uh, according to the rules the way they're written. So that's uh, that's a problem, uh, and so people are going to trade things. A lot of Americans have accounts with Binance overseas. You can trade through your VPN and whatnot if there be you know restrictions on that. So people find ways to uh, get around. Uh, the rules and um, in the United States, which are meant to protect them, but uh, you know, the government's here to protect you is always the uh, the the joke. And so, anyway, um, you know, so if the government, if the SEC were more accommodating um, and would uh, you know deal straightforwardly with these various firms, I think um, it would be a lot better to have things happen here in the United States uh, rather than. Um, outside. Waiting for the European Commission to do it for us. Or the Russians or North Koreans or whatever. The Chinese, so, yeah. Right, exactly. So. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. Yeah, the, um, there, there, there's also um, multiple legislative efforts on Capitol Hill to come up with a whole new regulatory structure for cryptocurrency. And the one I was reading about, I don't know if you know about it at all, but... Um, there's an effort by Senator Stabenow and, and Bozeman um, that preceded the collapse of, of FTX. And supposedly Sam um, SBF, I, I love these acronyms. Sam Bankman-Fried, right. It's so, so complicated. Um, supposedly his team was intimately involved in writing that. And, and when I heard that, I'm like, well, this sounds like big centralized crypto trying to create a regulatory structure that, that smaller decentralized firms could not survive under, which is, is, is a classic example of, of regulatory capture. Um, but what is, you're, you're, you're telling me that the SEC could, could do some small things to accommodate the evolution in, in financial markets without legislation, um, but the legislators want to solve this problem with with big legislative 
takeovers and, and the Federal Reserve as well. Um, is, is that a good idea or a bad idea? Well, I, I th- well, so I don't know all the details about that uh, bill. Um, it's uh, coming out of the Agriculture Committee, which um, has oversight over the CFTC. So, um, and there's always this, historically, there's been this big tug of war between the CFTC and the SEC over uh, financial products that fit right in the middle uh, between them. And so that cre- that's a bad idea. It creates a lot of uh, uncertainty in the marketplace, like, you know, to whom am I answerable and, and that sort of thing. So leaving that aside, and, and I think that bill is focused only on Bitcoin, I believe, things that are, you know, commodities. Um, and so, um, and maybe some other uh, assets as well. I just, but um, anyway, so that, um, yeah, I don't know where that stands um, currently. But, um, but I do think that, again, uh, you know, it is a good idea for, um, you know, we have this construct, and it's a very creaky uh, construct, uh, you know, with respect to financial services regulation, lots of different players, lots of costs that are added, lots of um, ways in which the rules impede uh, financial innovation. Um, but so, so that's one reason why the SEC, you know, should be there, you know, with its ear to the ground to figure out, okay, which way are things moving, and let's um, let's uh, try to accommodate, you know, uh, activity that's not criminal, and uh, and then uh, you know enable uh, markets to flourish because if it's you know if it challenges incumbents, um, and uh, and it helps to bring down costs for investors and for people who are trying to raise capital. I mean, that's the reason why we have financial markets. And to have capital find its way um, to um, to businesses and people take risks and they may lose all the money by investing in something, but that's their right. You know, they can go buy a lottery ticket and lose all their money on that. But if you, you have a construct around it, and so things have, like we were saying before, grew up from crises in the past, the 1929 stock market crash, and clearly there were things that were going on uh, before that that uh, uh, you know were not right, and so government stepped in and took um, uh, you know took steps to you know try to prevent it in the future. We can all take exception with that, with some things they did, other things you know um, not maybe not so much, but whatever uh, we can you know debate that. Um, but still, so the, the laws have been passed over the years. They've got stacked up, you know, with all the, uh, you know, all the layers. And so that's what's so good about, um, uh, you know, when you have disruption in a market. And there are lots of organizations out there who have been uh, struggling against uh, laws like uh, for, um, you know, regulation and licensure on the state side, whether they be uh, for casket makers or, you know, taxi cabs. And we see a lot of uh, things like that that have happened. So the regulators, you know, on the federal and state level should be attuned to those sorts of um, opportunities and then uh, then accommodate, uh, you know, reasonably, I think, uh, things that are out there to advance um, the you know, cost savings and everything else, innovation. So your, your focus is obviously on the federal level, given your experience. Do you have an opinion about um, 
um, competing regulatory paradigms like states like Wyoming have have sort of revamped their regulatory structure to be very um, pro crypto, whatever that means. I think it's um, just staying out of the way and allowing these these new markets to emerge. Um, do you do you think that's a good thing? Should we should we shift responsibility back to the states on this, or is it more complicated than that? Yeah, well, I mean, you have all sorts of uh, rules uh, governing banking, and so that's really the touch point there with respect to Wyoming. And you have the various federal regulators. Uh, you know, usually uh, for a while we had, um, you know, the uh, controller of the currencies office. Um, there was a bit of an opening there with uh, two of the uh, former controllers, uh, uh, you know, trying to accommodate uh, Wyoming and, and similar sorts of constructs there with respect to uh, banks taking custody of, of these sorts of assets. Uh, that door is being pretty much shut um, by the current uh, um, uh, people who are in charge in Washington at the Fed and at the controller's office. Yeah, the Fed rejected an application for a crypto bank, right. if I'm saying that right. Right. And so, for so if you got to go to the Fed to get permission to create something that potentially competes with the Fed's monopoly on currency, that seems problematic. Yeah. Well, on this, I think, and, and again, I'm not involved in that, so I don't know all the ins and outs of it. But you know, a lot of this comes down to um, you know being a member bank of the Federal Reserve and how then you have access to what's called the Fed window to be able to. Uh, you know, the Fed's the lender of last resort uh, in crises and whatnot. And so to be able to put up assets, uh, eligible assets, uh, to get um, uh, to, to borrow money from the Fed. Mm -hmm. So that helps banks' liquidity and, and things like that, especially when, you know, there is a, uh, you know, uncertainty in the marketplace or whatever. So, uh, you know, I'm not privy to what's going on in that particular uh, matter, but so that was the, one of the bases that the Fed uh, used to um, uh, to reject the application. So, uh, but that's being taken, of course, as a sign as it should be that uh, you know they're not really open to um, uh, to. I mean, they're they're being very kind of leery, of course. Sure. Um, and then with, in the wake of FTX, that. Uh, also uh, kind of provides them, uh, you know, a, a stance at least uh, to argue that. So uh, we'll see how all that develops. Uh, there'll be, I'm sure, hearings on the Hill and, and other things um, going forward. Have you weighed in on the regulation of so-called stable coins? Yeah, so that's uh, akin to all of this because a stable coin, think of your... Um, uh, you know, th think of a, of a bank account or something where, um, you know, when you write your check to take money out of uh, your bank account, you know that, uh, uh, or you hope that the bank's still A, solvent, and then B, that uh, the money that you think you have is in that account, and that uh, the merchant on the other side taking your check, uh, you know, has confidence that, okay, when I go and present this um, for payment, that it'll be honored and paid. So that kind of that trust uh, 
runs throughout our system. And so, um, so stable coins are meant to do that um, as a way to uh, be backed up by U.S. dollars. Uh, and, uh, and so that, uh, you know, what they're trying to do is have people... Are they ever linked to things other than U.S. dollars, like gold or something like that? Uh, I think there are all sorts of um, different products out there, and not just dollars, but, you know, other currencies as well. But uh, for the main point, you know, here in the United States, obviously people are looking for something that is, uh, you know, to use the term of one of the stable coins out there, tethered uh, to the dollar. And uh, so, um, so anyway, so the, the idea is to have, you know, the, the coin represent that dollar in the bank, and therefore you can use that as a proxy for rather than paying cash or whatever, writing a check. So that, um, that underlines that, you know, the, the confidence of the market in that. That's being shaken over time here and there a bit. Um, but, you know, so it seems like the market still has, uh, you know, the, the values of these uh, various coins are still out there. So the argument has been, well, you know, is there any potential what we call systemic risk? Um, if the um, if these stable coins, you know, if, if one fails, um, and then lots of people lose their money, a la FTX, and um, so that has then been the impetus uh, from some people, you know, in Congress to say, well, we need to have some tighter regulation of this, and you know, these people need to be treated like uh, either money market mutual funds or treated uh, like banks. And so that's what the discussion is about. And I'm sure uh, coming forward in this year and the, in, the, in uh, 24 coming up after that, um, we'll probably have a lot of discussion around stable coins, um, you know, especially coming out of FTX. But, uh, but still, there was no systemic uh, problem you know, with FTX, and that was obviously a pretty big failure. Um, and uh, so that then... You know, provides a counterweight against those who say that you know this is going to undermine our financial system and all that. If you've made it this far into the show, it means I must be doing something right. Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things Liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. And if you like what you see, donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. Yeah. The, um, it, stick with me on this analogy, and I'm asking a lot of questions a little bit out of ignorance because I don't understand the, particularly the regulatory structure, but I, but not too long ago, the Chinese government banned the mining of Bitcoin, somewhat laughably because they were concerned about the impact on global warming <laughs> right. of using so much energy. And I suspect they had other reasons for banning Bitcoin because it, it gave um, people financial freedom in what is otherwise an insanely authoritarian social credit system. Um, now, the Biden administration has made similar noises about, about worrying about Bitcoin mining, and it, and, but the, the response to the Chinese government banning it was, was a very quick um, adjustment by the Bitcoin miners, and they moved many of their operations to the United States and other places. So the, the, you know, the Chinese government's trying to stop this, this very freedom-based thing, and it just pushed it somewhere else. 
Um, the general question I'm going to ask is if the, the, our government or the European Commission or, you know, God help us, the Global Central Bank, I forget the name of, of what it's called, if they continue to not respond to market um, evolution and they, and they try to punish these emerging crypto markets, don't they just push it underground? Don't they just create a gray market, a black market? Um, I'm thinking of other wars that the government has declared, uh, the war on drugs and other things, but um, they they can't destroy it, but they could make it less less uh, less transparent, less uh, certainly less legal by definition if they if they try to stomp it out. And that, that's I think that's the argument I'm hearing from you is like let's 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 create simple transparent rules so that these things can flourish right. in an honest way. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, so that's the. I mean, the, the genius of what, uh, you know, the anonymous fellow, or not, not, well, I mean, the, the pseudonymous, pseudonymous uh, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto came up with, uh, you know, who, who ever all was behind all that, uh, was to come up with the idea you of... Know, do you know who it is? Because no, well, I mean, we're, we're dying to know. Different, right. No, I, uh, I have no <laughs> clue. I mean, there are various uh, folks who there's speculation, but it was, yeah. you know, it's probably not one person, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, but... The uh, um, uh, you know the the idea of that to have this decentralized uh, type of uh, you know blockchain concept where you know it's it's kind of out in the open because you know there there is this uh, whole uh, it's called blockchain so all of the um, you know the transactions um, are you know available there to look at and the U.S. actually the law enforcement. Uh, Folks, uh, federal law folks, folks have uh, have used um, the ability to, uh, through the blockchain for transactions to track down, you know, criminal behavior. Um, like if, um, uh, like ransom was paid, uh, you know, famously where um, uh, there was one of these. Um, Attacks on a it was a, a pipeline uh, company, um, you know, a couple of years ago, and so the the payment in Bitcoin was able to be traced and uh, and recuperated uh, to a large extent. So that's pretty incredible. And if that were paid in cash, you know, to kidnappers or something like that, it'd be gone, and it'd be very very difficult. Uh, to trace even if you had the um, uh, you know the serial numbers on the bills and whatnot so um, so anyway so I think the uh, you know this uh, this ability to, to have this technology uh, thrive in a society like ours and I could see why an author authoritarian regime would not want to have this at all um, and that's why it's no um, coincidence that the Chinese uh, central bank, you know, is experimenting with its own digital currency and, you know, is moving full force with that. And that would be a great way to control people if Matt Kibbe gets out of line like the former, uh, you know, CEO of Ant. And just think with one press of a button at the central bank, they could like wipe out, confiscate all of your assets. Yeah. So um, that's... Um, that they don't even know, have to know where you live. And so um, so that's a pretty kind of sobering thought. And so that's why to have something that is not controlled um, by any particular entity, is not centralized, you know, is a trustless type of um, product where you have 
all the different miners who, you know, the validators who are validating various transactions and then appending them to the um, to the blockchain, you know, makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Ether, the consensus there is to go a different direction, uh, you know, um, but um, but anyway, so um, so we'll see how all this shakes out. Yeah, there's um, it's not just the Chinese government. I think um, the United States and and many central governments are wanting to create their own digital currencies and it it is sort of the final step in the chinese social credit system right like because they're they're already able to debank people right um which is similar to that but to, to actually uh, monitor control every financial transaction you make how many how many cokes am i drinking and is that really good for me um well, the U.S. Uh, has also uh, done that. The FDIC, famously under the Obama administration, uh, started their Operation Choke Point, uh, where uh, they are going after, uh, you know, the, uh, the types of uh, businesses that they found distasteful. So, whether it be gun manufacturers or gun um, stores and, and those sorts of things, they would uh, the examiners would go to the various banks and say, you know. We think it's not it's not really good for your reputation or a safe and sound banking practice to do business with these sorts of people, and so that kind of got exposed, and then there was a big explosion, uh, you know, justifiably so because these are legitimate businesses that are operating within the law, and how can it be that the government will then clamp down on them that way? And so that um, you know. Uh, you know, uh, created a, a backlash where the FDIC um, uh, stepped back from it. But you never know. I mean, the the bank regulators have so much discretion through their examiners uh, to, um, you know, kind of raise their eyebrow or whatever. And then the bank officers, I mean, uh, the stories out there, the anecdotes are legion on this. They have to step back and, and follow. Um, it's easier to comply on. than to fight. It is, and but you can get shut down too sure. with uh, you know pretty quickly in the banking realm. I mean, others. That's why you know in other industries in the financial services, there's lots of tussle. Like the SEC, on the same sorts of pretexts, can't really shut down a, a broker. So there's a lot of uh, much more litigation, I'd say, on the SEC side than overall on the banking side. In in the context of this conversation, financial freedom and. Um, reasonable regulation what else should we should we know about like what's the big fight for you guys uh well so i mean right now it's uh, just getting through the uh, you know the current uh, uh kind of choppy waters let's say uh, uh in the uh, in the markets um, but i think uh you know I, I, it's uh you know there's a lot of innovation out there a lot of people are you know not um throwing in the towel or anything like that. They are, um, you know, pushing forward. So that goes for digital assets. I mean, we still have a lot of clients who are investing in, uh, for example, swaps trading platforms uh, where they fall under the CFTC's jurisdiction. You know, uh, people are running into, um, uh, you know, a brick wall at the SEC um, in a lot of this uh, area. So that has not changed uh, much. Uh, there's the lawsuit against Ripple, you know, over, you know, whether or not um, XRP, the Ripple coin, is a security or not. We'll see how that goes. We 
may well have a, a decision on that at the lowest court, the district court, um, this year. And I'm sure whichever way that comes out, there will be appeals. And it could go all the way up to the Supreme Court. There's one, you know, uh, maybe a, a 60, 70-year-old decision called Howie uh, that uh, um, the Supreme Court uh, issued um, that uh, kind of sets out what's an investment contract and gives um, you know the criteria by which you know a court could judge that. Uh, that's quite old. Uh, you know, it's arguable whether or not it's still current. And I could see the Ripple case maybe ultimately, if it goes all the way up, to have the Supreme Court really re-examine that for you know its coherence in the current environment and uh, whether it needs to be tweaked. So a lot of things riding on that. So that's uh, that's like a, a really interesting thing to follow in this space. That's the core one. So um, if people are interested in, in what you do in your services, we find you at Potomac. What's the website? Do you remember? Well, it's, it, yeah, well no, let's remember. Yes, uh, exactly. It's uh, uh, Potomac.com. It's spelled the old-fashioned way, P-A-T-O-M-A-K.com, so not like the river, um, which actually the orthography of that one got set back uh, in the 30s because um, uh, it had been spelled so many different ways beforehand. So anyway, but P-A-T-O-M-A-K.com, but happy to chat with people about it. Cool. Thank you, sir. Good. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.